who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Singularity by Bill DeSmet. Copyright 2004 by William H. DeSmet. All rights reserved. Chapter 33 Hackers What's the worst Grishin could do with it? Jack put his hands behind his head and tipped his chair back while he considered Mariana's question. The only answer that came to him was another question. Why are we assuming the worst from the get-go here? He said half to himself. Isn't saving the world enough of a reason? You've seen Yuri in action, Mariana said. You tell me. Jack fell silent, remembering. When he did speak, it was to say, Right, scratch that theory then. It's just, you're talking like they're going to make some sort of weapon out of it. And I just can't for the life of me see how. Something so powerful, so destructive, she prompted him. There just has to be a way. Don't get me wrong, it's plenty dangerous. Dangerous how? Jack scratched his head. He wasn't used to thinking in these terms. Well, the hawking radiation alone would crisp you to a cinder if you got close enough. Closer in still, and the tidal distortion would pull you apart like saltwater taffy. But it's all real short-range effects. The thing's not about to reach out and grab you from miles away. You'd have to move it pretty close to a target to do much damage, and there's no practical way to move it at all. Mariana buried her face in her hands. All that does is rule things out. I've got to know what Grishin is planning to do, not what he isn't. Jack shrugged. Sorry, ma'am. With no hard data to go on, your guess is as good as mine. Maybe if I could get a look at what's going on down in that station. Now there, John said, I think we may be able to help you. Sasha jumped at the slam of the lab's heavy fire door. He called out, Quiet, please, without looking up, then went back to his consultation with Irina Konstantinovna Kuznetsova, 
head of GEI's Raleigh-Durham Telecommunications Laboratory. He sensed a presence behind him and turned to see Yuri standing there in black body armor, glaring down at him. Ah, good morning, Yuri. Are we almost ready to go? Sasha forced a smile. Truth be told, the hulking Georgian made him nervous, especially out here in the field, with his blood up and no Grecian around to restrain him. We have been ready for half an hour. The delay is you. Yes, well, some things cannot be rushed, as you will appreciate. If Yuri did appreciate it, said appreciation failed to register on his implacable features. He stood there like an obsidian statue, motionless, waiting. We are very nearly done, Irina Konstantinovna and I, Sasha said. Already we have programmed the voice line overloads for the 5E switch and cell phone base station serving northern Watauga County. It only remains now to hack Weathertop's high-speed data line. How long? Sasha's eyes flitted to the display's menu bar clock. Five after eleven. Perhaps another fifteen minutes? We have determined that Weathertop is connected via a so-called digital subscriber line. Because DSL is essentially independent of the public switch telephone network, our standard denial-of-service strategies are useless. Instead, we must... I beg your pardon? I said five minutes, Yuri repeated. You must have patience, Yuri Vissarionovich. It is essential to cut Weathertop's links to the outside before we close in. It will be difficult enough to spirit our captives out of the country under the noses of the authorities. It becomes impossible if Krom has been forewarned. Five minutes. You do not understand, Yuri Vissarionovich. Such hacking, as the Americans call it, is a delicate operation, and it is essential that the outage appear accidental. If we are not careful, we could... It is you who do not understand, Bondarenko. I am in operational command of this mission, and I give you five minutes. If you are not ready then, we leave without you. Knox shifted around to face Adler. Jack, what if we could tap into the telemetry bitstream from Antipo to Rusalka? Would that do it for you? Give you enough to figure out what Grecian's up to? The talking head in the video conferencing window nodded warily. Sounds like... Knox turned to Mariana again. Didn't you tell me you'd patched a surveillance device into the Secret Lab's local area network? A device with remote access capability? Uh-huh. My land bug. Pete could read it from his desktop in Chantilly, if it came to that. If Pete can, how about us? She shook her head. Nice try, John, but it won't work. Why not? Look around. Do you see any satellite tracking facilities? NSA's birds aren't geosynchronous, like the one that little dish out there is pointed at. She waved a hand at the commercial satellite receiver off to one side of the deck. They're in near-Earth orbit, constantly moving across the sky. The handoff's non-trivial. Besides, like I told you, the data streams spread spectrum encrypted. Even if you could intercept the signal, it'd read like random noise. But 
Aristos could access your bug from the machine in his office and read the data in the clear. Sure, he could link in over dedicated landlines to the NSA ground station in Bethesda, for all the good that does us. Pete and I aren't exactly on speaking terms at the moment, remember? And no way he'd do it now anyhow, not with Tsunami going on radio silence in three hours. Sounds like we're going to have to hack our way back in then. That's just not possible. I know, I know. She held up a hand. Your friend here broke in once, but he needed you on the inside to run that scam. Here he'd be up against the front-line defenses. And like I was saying before, looking directly at Mycroft now, Crom's got the best communication security in the world. Mycroft snorted. She ignored it. I guess I could try talking Pete around. That's okay. I think we can leave your boss out of this. That is, if... Knox turned to Mycroft. Please tell me you didn't pick the day of your recent Crom infiltration to go straight. Jonathan, Mycroft began, his complexion darkening a shade further. It's okay. We're all friends here. Isn't that right, Mariana? She said nothing, just gave a suspicious nod of her head. Well then, Mycroft said. What Jonathan is referring to is my pension for leaving behind a backdoor module on any of the sites I uh, visit. Backdoor? Technically, Knox said, it's called a Trojan horse, or just plain Trojan for short. It's software that hides away inside a machine till it's time to come out and boogie. No way. Mariana sounded indignant now. Pete had his machine perched down to the bare silicon after you pulled that little stunt. If this Trojan of yours was ever there, it's long gone. I seriously doubt that, Mycroft said. Most antivirals look for malicious activity, file deletions, disk erasures, what have you. My Trojan horses would never give themselves away like that. They burrow deep and lie quiet, and open a channel to the outside world once every ten minutes, of course, to see if I want to come back in. He glanced at the timestamp in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. We're coming up on a check-in window in three minutes, forty-five seconds. Jonathan? Go ahead. You never needed my permission before. With Mariana peering over his shoulder, Mycroft busied himself at his console. The seconds ticked by, stretched into a minute, then two, three. A final clatter of keys and somewhere in the depths of Crom headquarters, in the darkened lair of the director, reacquisition working group, a monitor sprang to life. We're in, Mycroft breathed. Mariana watched with mixed feelings as a new window popped open on the screen. On one level, she knew they really, really needed this to work. On another, well, who on earth would want to see their organization's best defenses fall to some, some hacker? She was concentrating so intently on what the hacker in question was doing that she didn't notice John standing behind her until he spoke. If this is the Trojan I think it is, he said, then once it wakes up, it deploys as a Telnet server. Meaning? Meaning Mycroft can slave the Chantilly machine to this one here, as if he were sitting at Pete's desk, typing in commands on his keyboard. Sure enough, the new window was displaying her boss's favorite screensaver. She got a sinking feeling in the pit of her stomach. Twice! 
that made twice this odd little man had simply thumbed his nose at some of the best comm security in the world. As if reading her thoughts, Mycroft muttered, If this is Crom's idea of world-class communication security, no wonder they're losing magnetohydrodynamicists right and left. What did you say? Um, I apologize, Mariana. Mycroft looked flustered. It's not your fault, really. Crom's, that is. It's just that government bureaucracies are no different from any other huge organization. It's not in their best interest to nurture excellence of any stripe. And what's that supposed to mean? She began. Whoa, whoa! Knox held up his hands. He's on our side, remember? Come on, let's leave the man to do his work. He took her by the arm and steered her off toward the kitchen alcove. He looked back over his shoulder. Mycroft, we're going to make coffee. You want some? Knox scanned a kitchen sparsely furnished even by Mycroft's Spartan standards. Refrigerator, freezer, yes. Convection, microwave, oven, and electric range, yes. A pantry stocked with spices and coffees and other comestibles, of course. But no pans or dishes, nothing to prepare food in or eat it on. The L-shaped butcher block countertop that divided the alcove from the great room proper sported only an inset stainless steel sink and a rather elaborate console. Nor was there any of the usual cabinetry beneath the counter, mostly just blank black panels. Hey, Mycroft, where's the coffee maker? Gone. Mycroft's voice came from the far end of the great room. Gone along with the rest of the kitchen paraphernalia. Nowadays, I make my cookware on the spot, with a replicator solids prototyper. I know those, Mariana said. 3D copy machines, right? That's it down there, John. And the computer up topside must run the CAD software and the template database. Replicator, huh? Knox bent to inspect the unit he'd mistaken for a dishwasher, set flush with the paneling in the space directly below the countertop console. Like in Star Trek? Not really. Mycroft had risen by now and stuck his head around the corner. Brand name aside, solids prototyping is old technology. The early experimental models go back to the mid-90s. This production version is nothing more than a computer-assisted design system, as Mariana said, married up to a polymer extrusion device. The end result is a three-dimensional casting of whatever is imaged on the screen. Simple. Still, it's kind of cutting edge for a kitchen appliance, wouldn't you say? As to that, cutting edges are one of the things it can't do. Bread knives, carving knives, blades of any kind are still beyond the reach of the current top of the line. This model can manage pots and pans and dishes, but nothing that has to slice or dice. Kind of limited, then. You're missing the point, Jonathan. When you're done cooking and eating, there's no clean-up. Just throw the dirty dishes back in the intake hopper and they're rendered back to raw material for whatever you want to fabricate next time. Wow, just what every bachelor pad needs, Knox said. He spied Mariana's frown out of the corner of his eye and switched tacks. I'm holding off getting one till they can do lawnmowers. You might as well get on board now, Jonathan. This is where we're all headed. Buy the pattern and you own the thing. 
In the long run, intellectual property will be the only property. Bits over atoms. Mycroft shrugged and turned back to his work. After several false starts, Knox and Mariana persuaded the modeler to fabricate a coffee grinder, a pot with a heating element, and three mugs. The actual replication process went quickly enough, perhaps 45 seconds all told, once they'd gotten past finding the right design templates. Even with its limitations, the unit's repertoire of possible objects was enormous. Mariana really got into it, perusing the catalog of CAD patterns as if off on some virtual shopping spree. Women. They're all alike. Or not. Glancing over her shoulder, Knox could see she'd hacked her way past the childproof lockouts and into the armaments templates. The replicator could no more do swords than it could carving knives, but wireframe schematics for a surprisingly wide variety of bludgeons, garrotes, and other non-edged lethalities scrolled across its display. Knox shook his head and went back to making the coffee. Um, Jonathan? Knox looked up to see Mycroft standing just outside the kitchen alcove. I'm about ready to try accessing the data stream from Rusalka, he said. I've located the satellite communications facilities via Pete's machine. It's tracking over a hundred devices worldwide, including one out in the mid-Atlantic that I take to be our land bug. Their activation routines are all passworded, though. Uh, Mariana, I don't suppose you... Why, Dr. Lawrence, I would have thought a hacker of your world-class abilities would have punched through our flimsy password protections without even pausing for breath. Now, Mariana, I never meant to imply... Evil bitch queen. Mycroft blinked at her. I beg your pardon? Mariana sighed and repeated it. Evil bitch queen, I thought you wanted my password. That's it. Do I have to spell it out? Capital E, lowercase B-I-L-B-I-T-C-H-Q-U-E-E-N. No spaces. Knox coughed in an effort to cover his laugh. It wasn't my idea, she said, glaring at him. Pete's the one who assigns them. Sasha let out his harness and wriggled around trying to get comfortable only to discover his seat did not recline. He was sweating buckets in the body armor Yuri had made him wear, and the EH-101 Maryland wasn't even air-conditioned. The big helicopter was roomy enough, especially with only the seven-member strike force occupying a cabin intended for thirty, but otherwise its amenities left much to be desired. Well, and what did one expect of a troop transport? Think about something else. Sasha glanced down at the mission chronometer integrated into his Kevlar sleeve. Quarter to noon. Twenty-five minutes out from the target, and in just fifteen of those minutes, his own virtual attack would begin, a precursor to the physical one. He tried to get his mind off the raid. Why had he volunteered for this? He possessed no expertise applicable to what was about to happen. He doubted if any such expertise existed, or if combat simply wasn't a chaos phenomenon, its outcome uncertain until the event itself. And his friend's life hinged on that indeterminate outcome. He had done all he could do to ensure John, and Mariana too, would come out of this alive. But persuading Arkasha was one thing, forcing the random evolution of events themselves into a desired course quite another. Especially with that wild card, Yuri, 
in charge of the operation. Sasha glanced across the cabin to where the big Georgian sat hunched over opposite the hatch, caressing his Glock 18 machine pistol. What thoughts were going through his mind in these last moments before the action? With an effort, Sasha refocused on the denial-of-service attack, trying to contemplate it as an exercise in abstract design. Though Yuri had managed to intrude even on this, Sasha's own domain, hustling him off before the arrangements could be completed. It shouldn't really matter. Irina Konstantinovna had seemed perfectly competent once she understood what was needed. He pulled out his handheld. It never hurt to check. It took him three times before he got a ring and an answer. Telecommunications, Kuznetsova. Irina Konstantinovna, Bandarenko. How are things progressing? Ah, Alexander Andreevich, things go well. Five minutes ago, we set up the demon dialers to begin building traffic on the wireline and wireless switches. Gradually, of course, in order not to arouse suspicion. Even so, you may have already noticed an effect. Yes, I had to redial several times. I kept getting fast busy. Ten minutes more, and the trunks will be so overloaded you will not be able to get through at all. By Russian standards, the American telephone system was a miracle of reliability. That did not make it invulnerable. Cost-effectiveness dictated that the networks be engineered to deal with ordinary peak loads, not extraordinary ones. A presidential assassination, or a local team's upset victory, or a snowstorm in the sunbelt, any freak occurrence that prompted everyone to pick up the phone and try calling everyone else could so swamp the switches that no one could place an outbound call. As could enough automatic dialers deliberately tying up all the lines in a given area. And what of the target's DSL service? This was to be the pièce de résistance, leeching away the bandwidth from Weathertop's digital subscriber line. I have hacked into the DSL access multiplexer co-located in the Boone Central Office. I have granted myself supervisor status. Their DSLAM now belongs to us. Excellent, excellent. DSL was an access technology that transformed the twisted pair copper wire of an ordinary analog phone line into a high-speed multi-megabyte digital conduit, turning a soda straw into a fire hose, so to speak. All that extra bandwidth made possible real-time internet access, two-way video conferencing, low-cost virtual private networks, a host of other marvels. All that extra bandwidth was the challenge. To seal Weathertop off from the rest of the world, they'd had to find a way to shut down its DSL line. The access multiplexer was the key. With DSLAM supervisor privileges, Irina Konstantinovna could run resource-consuming line tests against all subscribers in the service. The more capacity devoted to the spurious tests, the less left over for Weathertop. Yet, there would be nothing overt to give the game away at the target site itself, just a gradual attenuating of bandwidth. With any luck, it would have the appearance of normal service degradation, ending in total outage. Is there anything else, Alexander Andreevich? No, Irina. You have authorization to go for totality. Prepare to initiate full denial of service in twelve minutes. Sasha smiled as he hung up. Such an elegant plan. It's 
elegance totally lost on that thug, Yuri. Ironically, the one best able to understand Sasha's accomplishment here today was the one who would shortly fall victim to it. John, with all his years of consulting to the telecommunications industry, would surely appreciate how cunningly he had been trapped. Sasha made a mental note to tell his friend all about it once this was all over. Provided John survived. You've been listening to Singularity by Bill DeSmet.